Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses World with the World War II gave us writing for Godot and Oklahoma. Without the arts, we are diminished. We had the kind of creative freedom. I was, I was on television as a child, and then I had I was in Cotty's happy hour. She leaned across to me and she said, one day, you know, you'll be doing that. Mind-boggling. They were even lined with purple leather. Uh, went to the ABC and audition. I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup. I, and I still firmly believe that great work can be made in small places. If nobody's going to respect your talent, you've got to respect it. I hope I've been entertaining, that's all. Well, that's very kind of you, Peter. But you are a friend. <laughs> yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hildy Campbell is an old friend, who I first met as a teaching colleague. Our subject is drama. After a successful and rewarding career as a classroom teacher, she was drawn to a mid-career change, pursuing her passion for the Pilates movement technique and establishing her own studio, Perform Pilates, in the Sydney suburb of Stanmore. In this energising space, she is continuing to impart knowledge by teaching, albeit a very different clientele, who all have a focus on a unique method of movement for general fitness and well-being. Successful management and awareness of the possibilities available from the body are also essential to the creative artist in the crafting and telling of stories. Practitioners like Tadashi Suzuki, Rudolf Laban and Joseph Pilates have made their investigation of effective movement their life's quest assisting actors, dancers and singers to invest functional maintenance and powerful engagement with movement. I met up with Uldi at the end of a morning of teaching. In fact, I'd just completed her fourth Pilates class for the day. Uldi lured me to Pilates 12 months ago and I haven't looked back. So taken am I with this movement therapy that I thought we should feature a discussion on stages. No doubt you've heard of Pilates. So what is it? How did it all evolve? Conducted in the Perform Pilates studio, it is a safe and welcoming space. We pull up a reformer bed to sit on, and the sweet waft of COVID disinfectant is in the air. A cup of tea in hand, air conditioner blowing. Here's my chat with Ildi Campbell. We've just finished a class and we're sitting in your... Beautiful studio. Huffing and puffing. Stanmore, huffing and puffing. We've certainly (laughs) earned our stripes this morning. It was probably your third uh, Pilates class this morning. Fourth. 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 Four hours. A lot of concentration and a lot of focus. Yeah, I reckon um, it might be connected into the acting world somehow. And probably no great distance to your uh, life as a teacher. Yeah. When you would possibly be doing four. Oh, it's all all about the moment. It's all about being present, watching who's in front of you and working with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've spoken to, uh, you know, you touched on acting there. I've spoken Mm. to a number of performers um, and, um, you know, obviously the the actor's tools are their voice and their body, um, movement. That's the way we tell stories. Mm. And I've spoken to uh, a number of singing teachers or or vocal coaches. So we've talked about how to care for the voice. But I thought it was really important in this episode of Stages to actually talk about movement, Mm. not only for the performer, but but for us as as human beings Mm. and and how Mm. vital it is to um, maintain 
easy movement. Oh, you're so right. You're so correct. Movement is so important on so many levels. Yeah. So we, in this conversation, I hope, we'll be able to touch on a few movement pioneers um, from the drama world and, and, and also Joseph Pilates because, you know, this is the, the classes that we're, we're doing at the moment. I mean, I've been doing the Pilates classes now for about a year and I can't believe the, the physical change just in, in the strength that I have in, mm. in my legs, certainly. And uh, we were just talking about how I feel that my knees may have healed Mm, mm, mm. It's, it is an interesting um, movement pattern, definitely. Um, and it's interesting that you mentioned that your knees heal because um, we know with contemporary research into how the body works, certainly slowly increasing your load into the muscles is one way to develop muscle strength. And the Pilates system does that. It's a slow or a, or a small resistance training where you are incrementally increasing your load through the spring tension. So it, it's interesting to hear that, you know, some, sometimes it works for some clients, um, sometimes it aggravates, um, but you can only just do your best up here and, you know, encourage your clients to keep moving, keep active, um, because that's really the answer, you know, keep letting your muscles do the thing that they were meant to do. Well, you know, as you know, I recently passed the 50 barrier, so... Congratulations, I'm you. close behind you. Congratulations. <laughs> but I was, it, it became apparent to me that, that, you know, as we get older, hanging on to the ability to move is, is vital, isn't oh, it? Oh, absolutely. It's the old use it or lose it. Oh, you're so right. Um, and it's very interesting, you're, you're touching on a point there which is quite personal to me in that I actually felt too old to open a studio up. Um, you know, hitting the early 40s, let's say, at that point. Um, and I did. I felt very old and I felt like, you know, is this career change something that I can do because of my age? And in thinking that, I thought to myself, well, that's actually the reason why I need to do it. You know, you're not too old. What you are is a body needing to move. Um, and then I recognised in that that this was something that I could speak to people of my age or people who had not moved a lot um, or found reasons to have life interfere with them um, and, and find themselves stuck for, for exercise and then you know in this I discovered this and then thought to myself this is something I can do. Um, interestingly enough the thing that gave me permission to do this was meeting a woman um, who opened up her first Pilates studio in her early 40s and that was the kind of impetus for me to go actually you can do this there's no such thing here um, and then seeing the changes within my own body and within my mind as well where I felt completely drawn into the movement pattern but certainly the stress and the tension that I was carrying in life con continued to lessen as I continued to do exercise and we know and you know I know now through my research and through my training that this is an endorphin release and obviously you know it, it's it's helping the, the body become stronger and the mind become stronger but at the time as a client going through that transformation, it was, you know, really quite eye-opening. So how long have you been doing Pilates? How long have I been doing Pilates? Myself, six mm -hmm. years. Six years, Yeah, right. and I made the choice to open up a studio probably about three years ago, three, four years ago, um, and here I am almost in my third year of, of owning a studio and managing a small studio, yeah. What do you enjoy most about Pilates? Wow, um, good question. Pilates itself, as a client, I just adore the movement patterns. It's just something in the way that the body moves through, you know, the Pilates repertoire that, that's just amazing. And then to think that what your body is doing is actually 
creating muscle at the same time is is the bonus you know um, I also enjoy as um, a teacher slash instructor I really enjoy watching other people get the same thing out of it that I did you know which is making their body stronger becoming aware that um, you know that there, there are things that you can do to yourself to help yourself if you're in a situation where you know you're feeling like you're not fit enough or you know there's a lot of stress and anxiety so seeing clients become empowered that way is a real buzz and personally the real buzz is watching a client come in for the first time what the hell is this um, and then continue moving with us and then seeing that transformation where they just feel empowered by their movement and I never thought I could do this, you know, is something that comes out of their, of their mouth after a while. And I just really enjoy that because I think to myself, you know, that's something that I could relate to too and I'm, I'm really privileged to be on that journey with this person. So, And yeah. it's the little mm-hmm. things that we mm-hmm. notice within ourselves. Um, you know, you, you get into your 40s and all of a sudden, if you're getting down on the floor or mm. up again, you mm. start mm. to emit this, oh, oh, sound. And you think, <laughs> yeah. where did that come yeah. from? Yeah. And, you know, younger people yeah. just laugh at you and don't believe it. Yeah. But it will come, believe me. Um, and <laughs> also, and then you head into your 50s, late 40s, 50s, and it's getting down to that lower cupboard mm. and then getting up again. Mm. It's really quite stressful on your knees. But oh, yeah. I've noticed recently it's much easier. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. Um, the way the body sort of, you know, grows old, gracefully if we can call it that when you're young your ability to develop muscle um, is really quite easy and particularly also if you're male so you're you know you're carrying testosterone which we know creates muscle as you get older it gets a little bit harder because your hormones uh, in your body change and particularly also for women as they get older where you're you know going through perimenopause or menopause it is harder to build muscle mass. It's just a given. Um, And in that, as you start to develop muscle mass, your gains, if you want to call it that, or your ability to develop more muscle, it gets harder. So you have to put in more work to develop less muscle. So it is a a use it or lose it. and it is almost a, a maintain or it will go backwards. So, you know, in this and understanding exercise and movement, it's really important to find yourself doing the the very bare minimum every day because even in that, there's value to keep your body strong. Pushing yourself beyond that is where, obviously, you're going you're gonna to make the gains and, and um, develop muscle. Now, of course, we met each other in your previous life as a mm, drama teacher. Mm, mm. So growing up, uh, did you have ambitions to be a performer yourself? Yeah, really interesting question, Pete. Um, I can trace it back to when I was little, watching The Muppet Show, as probably many of us did at that age, and seeing the mum and chants on The Muppet Show, that was just an extraordinary epiphany for me. Watching that and going, that's a thing that you can actually do for the rest of your life, and and what a moment, you know, watching that, it was just so impressionable. And from there I was interested in stories and movement and drama, um, until I got to about 16 where I developed crippling stage fright, obviously it must have coincided with puberty, and I thought to myself, I, I just can't, I, you know, it's not something that I, I can do confidently. And so I, you know, went through school and I went to uni and I got, you know, my teaching degree because that's what good girls did at that age, you know. And so I trained in English and history and, you know, walked into the English classroom and just went, 
I can't do this. This is just not me. So quickly went back in, retrained as a, you know, and got my master's in theatre. Um, at the same time that that happened, I um, spoke to the school that I was teaching and let them know, and they were very good to put me straight into a drama classroom. They recognised the passion. Um, and, yeah, you know, that that's where it sort of went from. So, you know, that's been me for the last 25 years before the studio opened. Um, and it was an amazing career run. And my husband said to me, are you sure you want to do this? You know, and I said to him, it's the safest midlife crisis ever. You know, I'm going from one position of stress and authority to another position of stress and authority. So it was, you know, an interesting moment. But um, yeah, so maybe that's kind of the, the segue into maybe why I'm here. But I did. I had a really extraordinary career as a drama educator. Um, but I think that, you know, at that point too, I was very aware that, you know, there's not just one career path that you have to travel in. And it was that giving myself permission to go, you can actually do um, whatever it is that you want to do, regardless of age, where my whole mindset just changed. And I just went, I'm going to embrace this. And, you know, knowing the skills that I've picked up in teaching, in managing departments, in managing uh, children at that time, managing, you know, mentoring teachers, I knew all those skills that I'd learned at that point would take me to here. Yeah, I think there's a statistic that um, every person will have approximately three occupations Mm, in their mm, life. mm. Not three jobs in the same field, but three different occupations. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, that's probably a valid point there. I certainly, you know, can... I'm testament to that, you know, firm example. What was your school drama experience like? Was it a subject Uh, then? No. So I was one of... um, you know, we didn't have drama in school as a an art form. You know, it's not something you turned up to every day to do. And it was in, usually the English teacher yeah, last period. Yeah, and in fact, seeing Michael Gowles away at the STC when I was in year eleven was another moment that I went, "Wow, you know, this this could be it." But at that point, I you know the shyness had set in, um, and so watching that, I just went, you know, that that was a real moment too. But um, yeah, there was no school experience as such for me, um, so I had to wait till I got to school and university. But certainly, understanding that I could attend theatre, etc., was you know was something that I that I did. Um, no, no school yeah, productions. None whatsoever. Yeah, so it's really interesting that I travelled through up to about eighteen, nineteen, not being involved in anything beyond just absorbing myself in watching as much TV, as much movies as possible, getting involved in the stories that were around at that time, and seeing theatre too. And interesting, someone who suffered mm. a bit of stage fright, mm. etc., that you became a teacher because yeah. you're facing a live audience every day. Yeah, it's, it's interesting and I reflect on that, but for me, it's the, the thing that's gotten over my stage fright or, you know, that, that sort of the anxiety that you have when you're in front of people is just actually being aware that you know stuff and that you want to tell people what this stuff is. Um, and certainly through teaching, you know, teaching like Pilates, you know, this is where we go, well, let's pull the threads together. It's trial and error. You're in the classroom, especially in the drama classroom, and it's a lab, and you're going, what is going to come out of my intention today and it's very similar to the Pilates classroom where I'm in there going these are the exercises that I have in store for my clients what am I going to get out of them and so in that when you're in the classroom with students there's this potential for anything to happen and I think giving into that chaos and knowing that that's going to happen certainly after a period period of time I felt very comfortable with that isn't isn't that interesting Mm. I think so you know particularly with what you're saying with you know doesn't this throw you and in fact it's the opposite when I'm in there 
I'm, it's kind of the eye of the storm. You know, you kind of got an intention and you want you want people or your clients or your students to head in that direction, but you're certainly very aware that it might take a back door and go through another another direction. Mm. Mm. Well, in the drama subject, there's certainly um, an integral part of the study is that of movement and mm. various mm. movement practitioners. Mm. And one mm. uh, someone that figures prominently is Rudolf Labar. Yeah, yeah. So who was Rudolf Laban? Okay, interesting, uh, interesting that we start with Laban, and I'm going to transfer it into the Hungarian pronunciation, which is Laban. So being Hungarian, Laban. here we go. So Laban um, actually means on your feet in Hungarian. So isn't that interesting? So we've really? got a movement so he practitioner. Did, he didn't change his name. No, he, well, he was Rudolf, Rudolf von Laban before right, it became yeah. La Laban. So it's interesting when I read Laban as in my English head, um, I'm like, what, you know, what's the Hungarian of this? And it's actually Laban. So it makes sense to me, you know, in the Hungarian world. Anyway, so Rudolf Laban, as we know, or Laban, uh, you know, was a dance practitioner. Um, we understand Joe Pilates and Rudolf Laban did meet at some point. How influential they were with, you know, borrowing from each other is anyone's guess and is someone else's PhD at the moment. But we do know they, they made contact because they're in Germany at the same time. Rudolf Laban, we know, went into a series. And this is sort of post-World War One. Yeah, think, this is this time. is the nineteen twenties when Germany was a really interesting culturally. Mm. Um, so anyway, we know Rudolf Laban developed this notation system for dancers, and we know that the actors borrowed from that also. Um, and he was quite, um, you know, forward-thinking in in the things that he created. Um, but like most people, a lot of artists in Germany at that time, they felt the heat of you know the, the political environment. So we know Joe Pilates left at that time. Of course, Bertolt Brecht left at that time too. Um, Laban stayed until he could stay no longer also. So, yeah, so, you know, within movement and dance, Laban was very instrumental there. And like most practitioners, you know, they, they tend to borrow from each other. They tend to get to know each other and then borrow and innovate from each other. And, um, you know, Laban was certainly one of those practitioners who borrowed his notation system from someone else, turned it into the Laban, Laban notation, I think it's called, and then you know, turned it into a series of notations for uh, dancers um, and then the acting world borrowed from that too and so we get this concept of verbs driving the action so like a push a pull and things like that which is similarly connected to what we're doing in here in the studio yeah yeah he mm. designed those eight effort actions didn't yeah, he which, which yeah, are, yeah. Uh, fall upon a response to, to four that's right factors, yeah weight, that's time, right space uh, and flow. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's our way into understanding character. I certainly remember doing um, a Laban uh, acting class um, and looking at how the different ways into all the things that you've just mentioned give us the communication of the body by the actor to communicate character or to communicate how the, the, the character is responding to a certain situation. So it's a very interesting notation system. Um, but, you know, like all these things, once you develop rules, people want to start breaking them and innovate from them so yeah <laughs> um, to the listener the way an actor might use that system mm -hmm. is you know we talk about those effort actions um, with weight and gravity mm -hmm. you can either move through the space lightly or, or st with strength mm -hmm. um, with time mm -hmm. our movement is quick or it's mm -hmm. sustained mm -hmm. um, with the space around us it's direct or indirect mm -hmm. so you take those those um, sections mm -hmm. and build your own uh, movement, mm. performance. Mm. For example, someone like Darth Vader uh, would be strong, sustained and direct. Mm, 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 mm. And it's a great way of 
building a character from the outside in, mm, I think, mm. just to start with. Yeah, I think, you know, when you are acting and when you are looking at character, you know, these, these innovators in the acting world certainly give us something to make our connections with as an actor. Um, and they give us a sense of, you know, th there's a thought process behind how we move as actors and what we're doing. And, you know, certainly these innovators of performance and of movement, you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants, really. You know, they, these people have spent their life working through these particular aesthetics to give actors, dancers, uh, ways into moving. Um, and it's interesting you say that because in reflecting about that, you know, whether you're a movement teacher, Pilates teacher, acting teacher, there's always an intention behind what you want to give your audience or what you want to try and communicate. And it's taking the time to reflect on what that intention is and then you're giving it to the audience. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned that post-war political mm. climate, where oh, post-World War One, mm. where there was an explosion of freedom mm. expressed mm. In, in various art forms and, and cultural transformation. Certainly happening. a fascinating time, wasn't in it? Germany. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, but you yeah. know, in art, dance, theatre, mm. film, architecture oh, and, yeah, and music. Yeah. So mm. it was quite a um, fertile um, environment mm, that, that mm, Laban mm. and Pilates were mm, mm. were working in at the time. Yeah, it's interesting you mention that because Joe Pilates, um, you know, came from a physical fitness background. So certainly within his um, you know life journey, it was all about getting stronger, being physically fit. He was sick as a child, so it's really interesting. You know, when you talk to people and you see their journeys, and certainly reflected in my journey too, there's always an epiphany that kind of propels them to where they want to go so Joe was you know a sick child as much as we know had Probably asthma, had asthma yeah, yeah 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 so he had quite a few isms and ologies in his body um, and he understood that it was physical fitness that it was going to heal him and you know he worked his darnest and aren't we lucky that he was able to innovate from the discoveries that he made um, in order for us to have you know the Pilates system as we know it today here for us yeah. mm. um, at the outbreak of war he went to the United Kingdom yep. I think yep. and he was in an internment camp during, mm. during mm. the war yeah. Um, and we, he started teaching physical fitness to the other internees. And yeah, yeah. Is it correct that, you know, he started working with the springs, the bed springs this is, of the beds? This which, is really interesting. Because yeah. the reformer, which is yeah. a key instrument in the studio, yeah. is obviously based on a pulley and spring system. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting you say that. Um, last year there was a book published by uh, a man called John Howard Steele who was actually um, a student of Joe Pilates in New York when Joe was kind of heading towards the end of his career there. And John Howard still travelled um, as a student in his gym. He called it Joe's gym. It wasn't a Pilates studio at all. In fact, it was called Contrology in his time. Um, and John Howard Steele, I'm happy to pop the, you know, the reference to you, actually said that Joe was very good at making stuff up. And when we say making stuff up, this, this spring concept that, that generations of Pilates teachers have understood is Joe had a bed when he was in an internment camp is actually false. John Howard Steele let us know that there were actually no beds with springs at these internment camps that Joe was on. So in the Pilates world, we understood to a certain point that we thought Joe had created 
the reformer based on bed springs. It's not true at all. They weren't even bed springs invented at that time. Mm. And so what we understand is when he was in his internment camp, he was sleeping on the floor with all the other prisoners. So where this concept has come from is almost like the holy grail now, where we actually have to go back in and look. And it's fascinating that it's recent history, but Joe, as we understand it from John Howard Steele book, was very good at keeping things private. He didn't let things on. And obviously because of the climate that he existed in in Germany in, you know, in the early 20s there, or in the late 20s, certainly we understand there was a lot to not talk about. You know, you're in fear of your life. And so, you know, this is probably something that shaped his personality, I'm assuming. But we, there's quite a few myths being busted around Joe Pilates as well. Joe wasn't married to Clara at all. They were just partners. Um, we also understand through John Howard Steele's book, he didn't even have um, citizenship for America. He didn't have a tax file number. So when Joe passed away, John Howard Steele was actually a lawyer. And so he was left to undo some of the things that, you know, Joe had left behind here. So it was a very tricky situation. But, yeah, where it comes from, I think, is is the million dollar question and I think it lends itself to how innovative Joe actually was. You know, if it hasn't come from the bed, where has it come from? Certainly we know that he worked with um, patients who were injured. We know that there was some level of success. You know, we have photos and footage of this, but this concept we understand that we thought we understood has just been myth busted. So, you know, back into the, the books of history to figure out how he, how he worked all of this out. Mm. Yeah. So to the uninitiated listener, mm. what, what is a reformer bed? Which ah, is, yeah. Is a, is a okay, key... so the reformer is a piece of equipment that Joe Pilates actually developed. Um, it's a fascinating piece of equipment that has endless possibilities for movement and uh, developing muscle strength. It lies or it's shaped like a bed. Um, there are springs on the carriage um, and the springs are different weights. So you've got different levels of resistance training in what you do. Um, there's the potential to sit, stand, lie, kneel on the machine and to push, pull, you know, like Laban, um, to do different things with the body on the machine in order to develop muscle mass. There are also ropes um, which you can grab onto. They can go around your hands, around your feet. But it is an extraordinarily multi-dimensional movement machine that develops muscle. Yeah. I'm um, endlessly amazed at the uh, um, amount of repertoire. You know, I've been here a year and there's always a new exercise. Mm. That's, I think, um, part of the fascination for me in terms of being a Pilates teacher. Certainly Joe, we know, developed a series of exercises, you know, and in his gym, you went through the repertoire. There was an order to it. Um, but we know in contemporary scientific research, the body wants to move. It wants to, you know, develop muscle, etc. Um, and in that, to limit yourself to the concept that there's only 37 exercises the body can do, A, you know, let's be honest, that's kind of boring, you mm. know, mm. and B, there is such potential on this machine to innovate and find your own way to have a bicep curl or create a lunge or hold a plank that, you know, while all those exercises are awesome functional movement exercises and develop muscle everywhere, the potential for you to stay engaged in the work is extraordinary. And that's one of my joys when I'm outside of the classroom is to figure out what if I lunge this way and what if I lunge that way? And I think certainly keeps Pilates fresh, you know, and it doesn't become this you know, set of exercises that this very innovative man developed, 
but then we kind of stop there and that's it. And, you know, we kind of know, as I was saying with science, that bodies need to move in all directions. Um, and there's no one direction or one exercise that the body needs to do perfectly. What we know is the body just needs to continue moving. Mm. Yeah. It sounds like Joe Pilates was uh, destined to create what he did. His mm. father was a prize-winning gymnast mm. and mum was a naturopath. Yeah, certainly having, um, I think, you know, people on your side and mentors on your side, you know, to continue doing the work that you love um, is certainly a way into exploring that. So, you know, Joe, you know, in his capacity already had some understanding of physical fitness and movement in order for him to innovate. But, you know, there's certainly a lot of very innovative movers and thinkers at that time, you know, we're, we're almost spoiled for choice with how much creativity was coming out at that time. You know, we mentioned love. Arban, we mentioned Brecht, we're, we're looking at Pilates, um, you know, they're just three practitioners, but certainly, you know, we could dig into the bucket and pull out more. Mm. Mm. Another movement practitioner that we study frequently in drama is Tadashi Suzuki. Oh, I know yes, yes. You, you hold him <laughs> yeah. especially close to, um, to your heart. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting you bring him up, Pete, because it was... Um, Believe it or not, via Suzuki that I actually started to do Pilates. Um, in teaching boys and being in boys' schools, we, we know that, um, you know, it's really important, and not just for boys, I shouldn't say this, but this is, a, you know, an important feature for all students, is that students do. You know, they don't just listen and sit, they do. And it's a much more engaging way to learn and to understand things. And certainly in our world, in the world of drama, we encourage students to explore their own problems, you know, to, to figure things out. How's the space going to be best used to communicate this action? And we know, um, you know, physical theatre was on the HSC list for a while and was certainly something that a lot of schools were pushing through um, as it was becoming a popular art form, you know, internationally. And, you know, like all good teachers, I went along to the Suzuki workshop because I was completely fascinated with what, what the Suzuki method was. Um, and in doing the, you know, the two-hour stompathon that is a Suzuki... Because it's Suzuki, very grounded work, oh, isn't it? It's, it's, it's very it's heavy. Just, and all in the feet. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 it's such a challenging form where you have to work physically at your hardest. And it's interesting, while we know that's the intention of Suzuki, being in there or while I was in there, I was certainly very aware that that was what my body was doing and that was how I was responding. But I was also very aware of how unfit I was. You know, to be able to manage that kind of movement for two hours was extraordinary and I felt my limitations, I felt my age. Um, but it's interesting looking back on that, I now know that that's what Suzuki wants as a practitioner. He wants his actors to hit that point of exhaustion which is where he feels that the point of focus comes. Um, and that's where you communicate your character's best intentions to the audience. So when the actor goes through that physical transformation, they're able to give it to the audience. So doing that two-hour Suzuki workshop, uh, you know, for a couple of days over a week, um, it was really eye-opening. And, yeah, it, it starts in the feet. You know, Suzuki calls, uh, you know, the feet the, the first point of contact for the actor. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, there's, there's slight parallels there because with Pilates, you know, one of his first exercises is footwork. Um, and, you know, whatever, whatever the scenario is, whatever their intention is as practitioners, what I can see in that is, uh, you know, it, it's our first point of movement when we want to go forward. We're lifting our feet up, you know, we're pushing forward. But anyway, um, being in the Suzuki 
workshop, I just recognised how unfit I was um, and coincided with my daughter attending a Pilates class. And then, you know, off we go. Here I am. The so rest I, is Yeah, history. the rest is history. Well, the rest is present because we're sitting here in a Pilates <laughs> studio talking about it. So, yeah, here we are. Uh, Suzuki uh, has this notion of active stillness. Mm, what, mm. what is that? Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? Mm. You know, when you see an actor just, you know, they're, they're internally on fire, there's this energy radiating out of them, and they're able to maintain and control that stillness is just a beautiful point when you're, in, when you're watching that aesthetic live on a stage. Um, and it's certainly something I see often in here when people are working their muscles to, you know, that fatigue point when you're driving them there, because certainly we know at that point of fatigue, that's where the muscles are working the hardest. Um, you know, watching clients do that, it's it's a moment of Suzuki in, in some respects because the focus and the effort that that client has just gone through is comparable to the shakuhachi stomping exercises of Suzuki where you're almost at breaking point and, you know, sometimes you are at breaking point. And we know in the world of acting that segues into performance. In the world of Pilates, it segues into some awesome work in the body, you know. Yeah. Well, Pilates was certainly informed. He studied both Eastern and, and Western forms of exercise, looking at yoga and Zen and ancient Greek and Roman regimens. So. Mm, yeah, it's, it's interesting where his system came from. Certainly in Germany at the time, we know those gymnastics drills were, were a feature of um, you know, exercise regimes and routines. Um, we know that that's where he's borrowed from, you know, because of his background. And if you've seen the gymnastic work in Germany at the time, you'll notice there were those gymnastic drills. And particularly Matt Pilates, um, you know, while Pilates and some of the exercises translate across all his different apparatus, certainly when you look at Matt Pilates and the way the body moves on the mat, you can see elements of, elements of gymnastics in the work and in the flow of the exercises. So, yeah, you're certainly right there. So what's the difference between mat pilates mm. and yoga for yeah it's a really good question um maybe one that i will struggle to answer because yeah. i don't know much about the yoga yes, form exactly right. um but for me what pilates is is it's a movement pattern where you are challenging the body in various holds and some of them are isometric holds where you've got the body still and you're using your body weight as resistance um, but it is a movement pattern that can find itself on the floor there are exercises from the floor that you can translate onto the reformer and then certainly onto the other pieces of equipment, which are the Cadillac, the ladder barrel, the spine corrector. So it's a movement pattern that can translate across the apparatus. Maybe that's a way into it, but yeah. certainly, I, you know, I don't want to talk about yoga because I don't want to diminish, you know, someone else's understanding of it by thinking I know it. But with yoga, I, I see it as a, a potential for movement and a hold also. But yeah, I don't want to, mm. <laughs> I don't want to tread on a yoga person's toes if they're listening to me. But I, I would see Pilates as that. And with Joe, what we understand is that you are meant to move through all the apparatus and then be able to do mat work on your own and hold your own in those exercises. So he saw the apparatus as helping you to get to that point in terms of creating strength in the body. Well, during 2020, of course, we had that enforced mm. period at home mm. where you were doing a lot of map Pilates. Oh, yeah. Map Pilates became the, the new black. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Challenging was that, was times. Was difficult, sort yeah. of delivering a class via Zoom to your students at home? Yeah, that was really interesting. And I think it was certainly a time where, you know, we, we're not certainly not the only industry and I'm certainly not the only business that thought it was all going to be over at that point. And I think we're still trying to work out what this actually means. But I, 
I do get a sense within, you know, I'm not allowed, don't know if I'm allowed to use this word or not, within the zeitgeist, within how our culture is kind of managing itself at the moment where we're actually starting to understand we actually really need to look after not just our physical health, our mental health as well. Mm-hmm. And um, the studio had travelled a year already and we'd, we've got a very steady group of clients who come to work with us. And I feel what not only did it offer for them was you know exercising at home with someone who was telling them what to do which is what we really enjoy about movement you know we, we like somebody to connect to while we do this it was certainly one way of of managing things but the other reason i feel people were tuning in was to stay connected to the studio you know and i really do see the studio as being a community uh, we have people come in who come in regularly and you know they're not just bodies on reformers they're bodies who are carrying all sorts of things as we know um, that are going on in the world at the moment and just having that moment that one hour of community connection I think um, you know made things slightly easier for all of us me included um, I did worry about the business you know I thought you know what was this going to bring um, but you know in in looking at this people do want to look after themselves and in fact we've we've had a whole new group of clients come in who just understand how important it is to look after themselves but you know the challenges of zoom i think you know for for me are the same challenges as everyone you know we all struggle with the technology let's be honest um and then we struggle with being able to manage a conversation i think at that point too you know the the waiting the is it my turn whose turn you know that that interchange that we have when we're live where we can play tennis with our conversation it sort of disappears a little bit. So, you know, maybe that's a good thing, maybe that that's not a good thing, I'm not sure, but that's just, um, I think, how I see what this is giving us. But it's interesting, you know, like, from my conversations with clients who have come back, there's nothing like a reformer. And John Howard Steele also mentions in his book that people wanted the reformer when they went to Joe's gym. You know, they'd certainly go and wait for the reformer by doing another exercise. But we know that the reformer, and what I know from my clients and letting me know is they want the reformer experience. It is just a piece of equipment that gives you immediate feedback on your body. Um, mm. And it also, you know, maybe... It tunes into this kind of concept where people don't want to go to the gym. Mm. You know, there's this kind of, uh, you know, and I hear this from clients, and it's certainly not me framing it. Um, people say they don't like the the sort of, um, you know, the, the mental space of the gym, and I think that, you know, for whatever reasons they're coming to us, that is sometimes one of the things that I hear from our clients. Mm. Mm. Um, just from observation, mm. there seems mm. to be a higher... Uh, female population that are doing Pilates rather yeah. than the fellas. Why do you think that is? Oh, that, that's a really interesting question. Is Pilates and not sexy to the yeah, boys? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's one I'll throw back to you, Pete. You know, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What, maybe yeah, it's, maybe it's yeah. gentlemen of a certain age who embrace Pilates. Yeah. But, you know, I've seen some young guys here I as think, well. I um, think, you know, looking at the, what, what um, goes on in the room, certainly from what I can see here, you make a connection with the person who speaks to you. And I think that happens not just in the studio, that happens in life. And what I can see maybe because of my age too, we do get a a demographic of people coming who are, you know, having families, having children, um, and maybe a little bit, you know, further into their life journey than that as well. We do get young people, of course, please don't, you know, uh, feel that this is, you know, just a studio for um, older people. But it's interesting that you mentioned that. Um, I don't have an answer for it. It could be marketing. Mm. It could be because, you know, 
we're on Instagram, we market, we like to show bodies in movement. Um, that, that could be a reason why, but certainly um, I don't have an answer for that. And I try and encourage my clients when I talk to them about understanding that Pilates was a system of exercises developed by a man. Um, yeah, it's, it's a $60 million question. I'm not actually sure. I wonder personally whether the loading of the reformer might not be enough for some people sometimes who are looking to make extraordinarily physical gains in their work. But it's interesting when, when I do get gentlemen in here, they, they really do struggle with some of the exercises and particularly with some of the, you know, the lighter spring tension loading. So, you know, it, it's certainly not by any means as we know an easy method that's just me kind of coming to an assumption as to where it could be placed. But, you know, it, it's an exercise system for everybody and I, I really value that and it, it is something that I communicate to all my clients. It's not just for males slash, excuse me, females. It's for every age, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, the awareness of, of breathing and, and mm. breath is very important. Well, in all exercise, yeah. but, but it's certainly a part of Pilates. That's really interesting you mentioned that, Pete, because in the contemporary Pilates world, we actually understand breath patterns uh, have very little to do with exercise patterns. So there was a period in um, the 90s where Pilates was kind of overtaken by a certain group of people, uh, physios and practitioners, who developed this breathing pattern where you know, there were like maybe a few studies which indicated something about breathing and then we all, you know, they all just kind of latched onto it and that's where Pilates went. And to be honest with you, that was also an assumption that I had coming through as a teacher. What we do know is that it's uh, cueing breathing doesn't really impact on the body that much. Um, what you can do is use it as a focusing technique, which I use it at the beginning of class. But this this concept of inhaling through a movement and exhaling through a movement is is as we know today in contemporary research, it just it doesn't do anything for the body. And in fact, you know, if anything, it clouds the client with you know a, an extra load of information where they're already working so hard to focus and concentrate to make sure that you know they're they're hanging on for dear life in the class, you know, and their and their muscles are loading. It's interesting, we have a technique of Pilates called the Fletcher Pilates system. So Ron Fletcher was one of the elders who uh, worked with Joe Pilates and then you know, he was one of the 11 that, that continued the Pilates method after Joe passed away. Joe himself in his Return to Life Contrology book wrote breathing three times through his exercises and I think it's like most things you know when you grab a system and you innovate from it or you take it somewhere else you might catch a few words but not the whole intention and then you hook onto that those few words and that's where it kind of travels and I feel that in understanding the history of Pilates that could be something that happened but anyway with Ron Fletcher's system there was percussive breathing involved in his work. And if you, you know, go onto Google or YouTube and type in Ron Fletcher Pilates, certainly that percussive breathing technique was a feature of his work and it was more an aesthetic practice. We know it, it, it you know, it's not gonna help you load muscle. You know, what's gonna help you load muscle is load um, and holding onto that load and gradually increasing that load. So yeah, we, we're in a very interesting place with breathing. You'll find a lot of contemporary studios um, who are opening up today certainly will possibly have instructors who will ignore breathing altogether and just focus on moving the body because of what we know now. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of where we're traveling. But I, I really love this evolution of Pilates because the more I learn about the Pilates system, the more I understand 
how uh, science has now a role in how the body moves. And certainly Joe was innovative, but we also know Joe didn't study science or exercise physiology or anything like that. And so his um, observations were, you know, based on his observations. But certainly now we know with science and technology and, you know, learning more about the body, we are understanding more and more um, about Pilates myths. Um, and we're also understanding some Pilates truths in there perhaps too. Yeah. Well, the world lost poor old Joe at the age of 87 yeah. in 1967. Yeah. So he lived yeah. to a ripe old age. And funnily enough, he had a cigar every evening. So we know, we think we know he had a cigar every evening. That's around the myth. But, you know, we need science to <laughs> back us up or artifacts. Well, yeah. that's right. Well, yeah. well uh, yeah. you know, I don't know whether this is a myth yeah, either, yeah. But, but apparently there was a fire in his studio the year before and he raced in to grab some stuff, fell through some floorboards and was left dangling by his, his, his Yeah, uh, this is interesting. Until the firefighters were able to, uh, to save him and they think that might have contributed to yeah. his... Yeah, uh, it's interesting you mention that story because it's only recently that I've heard that and, you know, I've travelled through Pilates for a while and it's only in the last week or so that I've come across that. So I've never heard that story before, but, you know, like... Like with most pieces of history, there's some interesting stories mm. in you know everyone's um, everyone's history. Yeah. But just I, I was just uh, amazed at you know the fitness of a, mm. an 86 year old gentleman who was able to hang by his. But um, but I think in looking at him and understanding that he applied his system until he was 86, you know his system of movement, his system of exercise, and his system of muscle loading, it, it goes to show how extraordinary our bodies actually are and how responsive they are to exercise. Um, and, you know, if, if we do put in that little effort every day, the rewards are extraordinary, you know? Mm. Yeah. Well, in finishing up, mm. I might just mm. leave with this, um, Joe's definition of physical fitness. Yeah, yeah. The attainment and maintenance of a uniformly developed body with a sound mind fully capable of naturally, easily and satisfactorily performing our many and varied daily tasks with spontaneity, zest and pleasure. Yeah, there you go. Says it all. I know, right? Just look after yourself and see where you end up, you know? So your, your, um, your studio, Perform Pilates, is uh, located in Stanmore? Yeah, we are a, a small studio. We're a boutique studio. Um, we have uh, 11 reformers on the floor. Um, and yeah, we're a reformer specialist. Um, and here we are two and a half years later. Here I am living the dream, a small business owner. Um, but also, you know, somebody who just adores this and is so happy to be here. And as much as there are challenges with every line of work that you're in and even, you know, a small business and COVID, what else would I be doing? It's just an extraordinary, uh, privileged place for me to be a part of. And I say be a part of because, you know, while I'm here every day, people come in and, and are here with me every day too. And that's pretty cool. You know, we, we get to do Pilates together and, and, you know, we certainly get to catch, catch up with each other and check how each other are going. So... Yeah, I think that's the real buzz. Well, thank you, Ildi, for an insightful chat. That was really interesting. Thanks, Pete. And you feeling okay? That was yeah, all right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like um, when you asked me, I was like, really? You want to you know, you know, know about my journey? That was extraordinary. So yeah. thank you for asking. That's yeah. great. All the best. Yeah, thank you. You too. And there you go. I wonder how many of you are starting to think I really should get moving, whether that be gentle walking, water aerobics, or a long run. I think you'll all agree that the old saying, use it or lose it, is very pertinent in light of today's conversation. 
I know I can start to recognise significant change in my range of movement as I get older. Something to ponder and a terrific insight into how vital free movement and strength is to the performer across a range of stages. Thanks for joining us in this episode of Stages. It's always great to have your company. I'm Peter Ayers. Keep well, keep warm, and I'll catch you next time.